4. Rue infinity. The images of any large mass being infinitely divisible may be infinitely diminished. 88. Objects of equal size, situated in various places, will be seen by different pyramids which will each be smaller in proportion as the object is farther off. 89. Perspective. In dealing with distances, makes use of two opposite pyramids, one of which has its apex in the eye and the base as distant as the horizon, the other has the base towards the eye and the apex on the horizon. Now, the first includes the visible universe, embracing all the mass of the objects that lie in front of the eye, as it might be a vast landscape seen through a very small opening, for the more remote the objects are from the eye, the greater number can be seen through the opening and thus the pyramid is constructed with the base on the horizon and the apex in the eye. As has been said, the second pyramid is extended to a spot which is smaller in proportion as it is farther from the eye, and this second perspective pyramid results from the first. 90. Simple perspective. Simple perspective is that which is constructed by art on a vertical plane which is equally distant from the eye in every part. Complex perspective is that which is constructed on a ground plan in which none of the parts are equally distant from the eye. 91. Perspective. No surface can be seen exactly as an island if the eye that sees it is not equally remote from all its edges. 92. Why when an object is placed close to the eye its edges are indistinct. When an object opposite the eye is brought too close to it, its edges must become too confused to be distinguished, as it happens with objects close to a light which cast a large and indistinct shadow, so is it with an eye which estimates objects opposite to it, in all cases of linear perspective, the eye acts in the same way as the light, and the reason is that the eye has one leading line of vision which dilates with distance and embraces with true discernment large objects at a distance as well as small ones that are close, but since the eye sends out a multitude of lines which surround this chief central one and since these which are farthest from the center in this cone of lines are less able to discern with accuracy, it follows that an object brought close to the eye is not at a due distance, but is too near for the central line to be able to discern the outlines of the object, so the edges fall within the lines of weaker discerning power, and these are to the function of the eye like dogs in the chase which can put up the game but cannot take it. Thus these cannot take in the objects, but induce the central line of sight to turn upon them, when they have put them up. Hence the objects which are seen with these lines of sight have confused outlines. The relative size of objects with regard to their distance from the I-9398. 93. Perspective. Small objects close at hand and large ones at a distance, being seen within equal angles, will appear of the same size. 94. Perspective. There is no object so large but that at a great distance from the eye it does not appear smaller than a smaller object near. 95. Among objects of equal size that which is most remote from the eye will look the smallest. Footnote, this axiom, sufficiently clear in itself, is in the original illustrated by a very large diagram, constructed like that here reproduced under number 108. The same idea is repeated in CA. IA, IA stated as follows. Infralicos equal grandes equalis si dimostra di minor figura chasera piu distant dalocio. 96. Why an object is less distinct when brought near to the eye, and why with spectacles, or without the naked eye sees badly either close or far off as the case may be. 97. Perspective. Among objects of equal size, that which is most remote from the eye will look the smallest. 98. Perspective. No second object can be so much lower than the first as that the eye will not see it higher than the first. 
if the eye is above the second, perspective, and this second object will never be so much higher than the first as that the eye, being below them, will not see the second as lower than the first, perspective, if the eye sees a second square through the center of a smaller one, that is nearer, the second, larger square will appear to be surrounded by the smaller one, perspective proposition, objects that are farther off can never be so large but that those in front, though smaller, will conceal or surround them, definition, this proposition can be proved by experiment, for if you look through a small hole there is nothing so large that it cannot be seen through it and the object so seen appears surrounded and enclosed by the outline of the sides of the hole, and if you stop it up, this small stopping will conceal the view of the largest object, the apparent size of objects defined by calculation 99-105-99, of linear perspective, linear perspective deals with the action of the lines of sight, improving by measurement how much smaller is a second object than the first, and how much the third is smaller than the second, and so on by degrees to the end of things visible. I find by experience that if a second object is as far beyond the first as the first is from the eye, although they are of the same size, the second will seem half the size of the first and if the third object is of the same size as the second, and the third is as far beyond the second as the second from the first, it will appear of half the size of the second, and so on by degrees, at equal distances, the next farthest will be half the size of the former object, so long as the space does not exceed the length of 20 brassia, but, beyond 20 brassia figures of equal size will lose to 4 and at 40 brassia they will lose 9-10, and 19-20 at 60 brassia, and so on diminishing by degrees, this is if the picture plane is distant from you twice your own height, if it is only as far off as your own height, there will be a great difference between the first brassia and the second. Footnote, this chapter is included in Dufresne's and Manzi's editions of the treatise on painting. H. Ludwig, in his commentary, calls this chapter, Einstair which takes to Nyamgonsen tractat. But at the same time he asserts that its substance has been so completely disfigured in the best miscopies that we ought not to regard Leonardo as responsible for it. However, in the case of this chapter, the old miscopies agree with the original as it is reproduced above, from the chapters given later in this edition, which were written at a subsequent date. It would appear that Leonardo corrected himself on these points. 100. Of the diminution of objects at various distances. A second object as far distant from the first as the first is from the eye will appear half the size of the first, though they be of the same size really, of the degrees of diminution. If you place the vertical plane at one brachel from the eye, the first object, being at a distance of four brassia from your eye will diminish to three-four of its height at that plane, and if it is eight brassia from the eye, to seven-eight, and if it is sixteen brassia off, it will diminish to fifteen-sixteen of its height and so on by degrees, as the space doubles the diminution will double. 101. Begin from the line MF with the eye below. Then go up and do the same with the line NF then with the eye above and close to the two gauges on the ground look at MN, then as CM is to NN so, will NM be to NS if N goes three times into FBNP will do the same into PG. Then go backwards so far as that CD goes twice into N and PG will be equal to GH and MP will go into HP as often as DC into O page 102. I give the degrees of the objects seen by the IAS the musician does the notes heard by the ear. Although the objects seen by the eye do, in fact, touch each other as they recede, I will nevertheless found my rule on spaces of 20 brassia each.
as a musician does with notes, which, though they can be carried on one into the next, he divides into degrees from note to note calling them first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and has affixed a name to each degree in raising or lowering the voice. 103. Perspective. Let be the level and distance of the eye, and the vertical plane. As high as a man, let be a man. Then I say that on the plane this will be the distance from the plane to the second man. 104. The differences in the diminution of objects of equal size in consequence of their various remoteness from the eye will bear among themselves the same proportions as those of the spaces between the eye and the different objects. Find out how much a man diminishes at a certain distance and what its length is, and then at twice that distance and at three times. And so make your general rule. 105. The eye cannot judge where an object high up ought to descend. 106. Perspective. If two similar and equal objects are placed one beyond the other at a given distance the difference in their size will appear greater in proportion as they are nearer to the eye that sees them. And conversely there will seem to be less difference in their size in proportion as they are remote from the eve. This is proved by the proportions of their distances among themselves. For, if the first of these two objects were as far from the eye, as the second from the first this would be called the second proportion, since, if the first is at one brassia from the eye and the second at two brassia, two being twice as much as one, the first object will look twice as large as the second. But if you place the first at a hundred brassia from you and the second at a hundred and one, you will find that the first is only so much larger than the second as one hundred is less than one hundred one, and the converse is equally true. And again, the same thing is proved by the fourth of this book which shows that among objects that are equal, there is the same proportion in the diminution of the size as in the increase in the distance from the eye of the spectator. On natural perspective 107-109. 107. Of equal objects the most remote look the smallest. The practice of perspective may be divided into parts, of which the first treats of objects seen by the eye at any distance, and it shows all these objects just as the eye sees them diminished, without obliging a man to stand in one place rather than another so long as the plane does not produce a second foreshortening. But the second practice is a combination of perspective derived partly from art and partly from nature and the work done by its rules is in every portion of it, influenced by natural perspective and artificial perspective. By natural perspective I mean that the plane on which this perspective is represented is a flat surface, and this plane, although it is parallel both in length and height, is forced to diminish in its remoter parts more than in its nearer ones, and this is proved by the first of what has been said above and its diminution is natural, but artificial perspective, that is that which is devised by art, does the contrary, for objects equal in size increase on the plane where it is foreshortened in proportion as the eye is more natural and nearer to the plane, and as the part of the plane on which it is figured is farther from the eye, and let this plane be DE on which are seen three equal circles which are beyond this plane DE that is the circles ABC. Now you see that the eye sees on the vertical plane the sections of the images, largest of those that are farthest and smallest of the nearest. 108. Here follows what is wanting in the margin at the foot on the other side of this page. Natural perspective acts in a contrary way, for, at greater distances the object seen appears smaller, and at a smaller distance the object appears larger. But this said invention requires the spectator to stand with his eye at a small hole and then, at that small hole, it will be very plain, 
but since many men's eyes endeavor at the same time to see one and the same picture produced by this artifice only one can see clearly the effect of this perspective and all the others will see confusion. It is well therefore to avoid such complex perspective and hold to simple perspective which does not regard planes as foreshortened, but as much as possible in their proper form. This simple perspective, in which the plane intersects the pyramids by which the images are conveyed to the eye at an equal distance from the eye is our constant experience. From the curved form of the pupil of the eye on which the pyramids are intersected at an equal distance from the visual virtue. Footnote 24, La Prima di Sopra the first of the three diagrams which, in the original Niz are placed in the margin at the beginning of this chapter. 109, of a mixture of natural and artificial perspective. This diagram distinguishes natural from artificial perspective. But before proceeding any farther I will define what is natural and what is artificial perspective. Natural perspective says that the more remote of a series of objects of equal size will look the smaller. And conversely, the nearer will look the larger and the apparent size will diminish in proportion to the distance. But in artificial perspective when objects of an equal size are placed at various distances, the smallest is nearer to the eye than the largest and the greatest distance looks as though it were the least of all, and the cause of this is the plane on which the objects are represented, and which is at an equal distances from the eye throughout its length, and this diminution of the plane is natural. But the perspective shown upon it is artificial since it nowhere agrees with the true diminution of the said plane. Whence it follows, that when the eye is somewhat removed from the station point of the perspective that it has been gazing at, all the objects represented look monstrous, and this does not occur in natural perspective, which has been defined above. Let us say then, that the square BCD figured above is foreshortened being seen by the eye situated in the center of the side which is in front. But a mixture of artificial and natural perspective will be seen in this tetragon called Elmain footnote 20. Elmain is quite legibly written in the original, the meaning and derivation of the word are equally doubtful. That is to say EFGH which must appear to the eye of the spectator to be equal to a BCD so long as the eye remains in its first position between and, and this will be seen to have a good effect, because the natural perspective of the plane will conceal the defects which would otherwise seem monstrous. III. Six books on light and shade. Linear perspective cannot be immediately followed by either the prospettiva di perdimenti, or the prospettiva di colori, or the aerial perspective, since these branches of the subject presuppose a knowledge of the principles of light and shade. No apology, therefore, is here needed for placing these immediately after a linear perspective. We have various plans suggested by Leonardo for the arrangement of the mass of materials treating of this subject. Among these I have given the preference to a scheme propounded in Bumber III, because, in all probability, we have here a final and definite purpose expressed. Several authors have expressed it as their opinion that the Paris Manuscript C is a complete and finished treatise on light and shade. Certainly, the principles of light and shade form by far the larger portion of this niz which consists of two separate parts, still, the materials are far from being finally arranged. It is also evident that he here investigates the subject from the point of view of the physicist rather than from that of the painter. The plan of a scheme of arrangement suggested in Bumber III and adopted by me has been strictly adhered to for the first four books. For the three last, however, few materials have come down to us, and it must be admitted that these three books would find a far more appropriate place in a work on physics than in a treatise on painting. For this reason I have collected in Book B all the chapters on reflections, 
and in book V I have put together and arranged all the sections of Nisi that belong to the book on painting, so far as they relate to light and shade, while the sections of the same is which treat of the prospecti the deeper dementi have, of course, been excluded from the series on light and shade. Footnote I, I, I this text has already been published with some slight variations in Dozio's pamphlet Dili Scritti de Segni di Leonardo di Vinci, Milan 1871, pages 30-31. Dozio did not transcribe it from the original Niz which seems to have remained unknown to him, but from an old copy Niz H 227 in the Ambrosian Library. General Introduction. Prolegomena. 110. You must first explain the theory and then the practice. First you must describe the shadows and lights on opaque objects, and then on transparent bodies. Scheme of the books on light and shade. 111. Introduction. Having already treated of the nature of shadows and the way in which they are cast, I will now consider the places on which they fall, and their curvature, obliquity, flatness or, in short, any character I may be able to detect in them. Shadow is the obstruction of light. Shadows appear to me to be of supreme importance in perspective, because, without them opaque and solid bodies will be ill-defined, that which is contained within their outlines and their boundaries themselves will be ill-understood unless they are shown against a background of a different tone from themselves, and therefore in my first proposition concerning shadow I state that every opaque body is surrounded and its whole surface enveloped in shadow and light, and on this proposition I build up the first book. Besides this, Shadows have in themselves various degrees of darkness, because they are caused by the absence of a variable amount of the luminous rays, and these I call primary shadows because they are the first, and inseparable from the object to which they belong, and on this I will found my second book. From these primary shadows there result certain shaded rays which are diffused through the atmosphere and these vary in character according to that of the primary shadows whence they are derived. I shall therefore call these shadows derived shadows because they are produced by other shadows, and the third book will treat of these. Again these derived shadows, where they are intercepted by various objects, produce effects as various as the places where they are cast and of this I will treat in the fourth book. And since all round the derived shadows, where the derived shadows are intercepted, there is always a space where the light falls and by reflected dispersion is thrown back towards its cause. It meets the original shadow and mingles with it and modifies it somewhat in its nature, and on this I will compose my fifth book. Besides this, in the sixth book I will investigate the many and various diversities of reflections resulting from these rays which will modify the original shadow by imparting some of the various colors from the different objects whence these reflected rays are derived. Again, the seventh book will treat of the various distances that may exist between the spot where the reflected rays fall and that where they originate, and the various shades of color which they will acquire in falling on opaque bodies, different principles and plans of treatment 112, 116, 112. First I will treat of light falling through windows which I will call restricted light and then I will treat of light in the open country, to which I will give the name of diffused light. Then I will treat of the light of luminous bodies. 113. Of painting. The conditions of shadow and light as seen by the eye are three. Of these the first is when the eye and the light are on the same side of the object seen, the second is when the eye is in front of the object and the light is behind it. The third is when the eye is in front of the object and the light is on one side, in such a way as that a line drawn from the object to the eye and one from the object to the light should form a right angle where they meet. 114. Of painting. 
this is another section, that island of the nature of a reflection from an object placed between the eye and the light under various aspects. 115. Of painting. As regards all visible objects three things must be considered. These are the position of the eye which sees, that of the object seen with regard to the light, and the position of the light which illuminates the object, is the eye. The object seen, the light, is the eye. The illuminating body, is the illuminated object. 116. Let be the light, the eye, the object seen by the eye and in the light, be showed. First, the eye between the light and the body, the second, the light between the eye and the body, the third the body between the eye and the light, is the eye, the illuminated object, the light. 117. Of painting, of the three kinds of light that illuminate opaque bodies, the first kind of light which may illuminate opaque bodies is called direct light as that of the sun or any other light from a window or flame. The second is diffused universal light, such as we see in cloudy weather or in mist and the like. The third is subdued light, that is when the sun is entirely below the horizon, either in the evening or morning. 118. Of light. The lights which may illuminate opaque bodies are of four kinds. These are, diffused light as that of the atmosphere, within our horizon, and direct, as that of the sunday or of the window or door or other opening. The third is reflected light. And there is a fourth which is that which passes through semi-transparent bodies, as linen or paper or the like, but not transparent like glass, or crystal, or other diaphanous bodies, which produce the same effect as though nothing intervened between the shaded object and the light that falls upon it, and this we will discuss fully in our discourse. Definition of the nature of shadows 119-1-2-119. What light and shadow are? Shadow is the absence of light. Merely the obstruction of the luminous rays by an opaque body. Shadow is of the nature of darkness. Light on an object is of the nature of a luminous body, one conceals and the other reveals. They are always associated and inseparable from all objects. But shadow is a more powerful agent than light, for it can impede and entirely deprive bodies of their light. While light can never entirely expel shadow from a body, that is from an opaque body. 120. Shadow is the diminution of light by the intervention of an opaque body. Shadow is the counterpart of the luminous rays which are cut off by an opaque body. This is proved because the shadow cast is the same in shape and size as the luminous rays were which are transformed into a shadow. 121. Shadow is the diminution alike of light and of darkness, and stands between darkness and light. A shadow may be infinitely dark, and also of infinite degrees of absence of darkness. The beginnings and ends of shadow lie between the light and darkness and may be infinitely diminished and infinitely increased. Shadow is the means by which bodies display their form. The forms of bodies could not be understood in detail but for shadow. 122. Of the nature of shadow. Shadow partakes of the nature of universal matter. All such matters are more powerful in their beginning and grow weaker towards the end. I say at the beginning. Whatever their form or condition may be and whether visible or invisible and it is not from small beginnings that they grow to a great size in time, as it might be a great oak which has a feeble beginning from a small acorn. Yet I may say that the oak is most powerful at its beginning, that is where it springs from the earth, which is where it is largest to return, darkness, then, is the strongest degree of shadow and light is its least. Therefore, O painter, make your shadow darkest close to the object that casts it, and make the end of it fading into a light seeming to have no end, of the various kinds of shadows, 1 to 3, 1 to 5, 
123. Darkness is absence of light. Shadow is diminution of light. Primitive shadow is that which is inseparable from a body not in the light. Derived shadow is that which is disengaged from a body in shadow and pervades the air. A cast transparent shadow is that which is surrounded by an illuminated surface. A simple shadow is one which receives no light from the luminous body which causes it. A simple shadow begins within the line which starts from the edge of the luminous body of 124. A simple shadow is one where no light at all interferes with it. A compound shadow is one which is somewhat illuminated by one or more lights. 125. What is the difference between a shadow that is inseparable from a body and a cast shadow? An inseparable shadow is that which is never absent from the illuminated body, as, for instance a ball, which so long as it is in the light always has one side in shadow which never leaves it for any movement or change of position in the ball. A separate shadow may be and may not be produced by the body itself. Suppose the ball to be one brassia distant from a wall with a light on the opposite side of it, this light will throw upon the wall exactly as broad a shadow as is to be seen on the side of the ball that is turned towards the wall. That portion of the cast shadow will not be visible when the light is below the ball and the shadow is thrown up towards the sky and finding no obstruction on its way is lost. 126. How there are two kinds of light, one separable from, and the other inseparable from bodies of the various kinds of light 126 127 separate light is that which falls upon the body inseparable light is the side of the body that is illuminated by that light one is called primary the other derived and in the same way there are two kinds of shadow one primary and the other derived the primary is that which is inseparable from the body the derived is that which proceeds from the body conveying to the surface of the wall the form of the body causing it 127. How there are two different kinds of light, one being called diffused, the other restricted. The diffused is that which freely illuminates objects. The restricted is that which being admitted through an opening or window illuminates them on that side only. Footnote, at the spot marked in the first diagram Leonardo wrote Lum Costretto restricted light. At the spot on the second diagram he wrote Lum Libero diffused light. General remarks 128. 129. 128. Light is the chaser away of darkness. Shade is the obstruction of light. Primary light is that which falls on objects and causes light and shade. And derived lights are those portions of a body which are illuminated by the primary light. A primary shadow is that side of a body on which the light cannot fall. The general distribution of shadow and light is that sum total of the rays thrown off by a shaded or illuminated body passing through the air without any interference and the spot which intercepts and cuts off the distribution of the dark and light rays. And the eye can best distinguish the forms of objects when it is placed between the shaded and the illuminated parts. 129. Memorandum of things I require to have granted as axioms in my explanation of perspective. I ask to have this much granted me to assert that every ray passing through air of equal density throughout, travels in a straight line from its cause to the object or place it falls upon. First book on light and shade. On the nature of light 130. 131. 130. The reason by which we know that a light radiates from a single center is this, we plainly say that a large light is often much broader than some small object which nevertheless and although the rays of the large light are much more than twice the extent of the small body always has its shadow cast on the nearest surface very visibly. Let CF be a broad light and be the object in front of it. 
casting a shadow on the plane, and let a bee be the plane, it is clear that it is not the broad light that will cast the shadow on the plane, but that the light has within it a center is shown by this experiment, the shadow falls on the plane as is shown at MOTR footnote 13, in the original there's no explanatory text is placed after this title line, but a space is left for it and the text beginning at line 15 comes next, why, to two eyes or in front of two eyes do three objects appear as two, why, when you estimate the direction of an object with two sights the nearer appears confused, I say that the eye projects an infinite number of lines which mingle or join those reaching it which come to it from the object looked at, and it is only the central and sensible line that can discern and discriminate colors and objects, all the others are false and illusory, and if you place two objects at half an arm's length apart if the nearer of the two is close to the eye its form will remain far more confused than that of the second, the reason is that the first is overcome by a greater number of false lines, than the second and so is rendered vague, light acts in the same manner, for in the effects of its lines rays, and particularly in perspective, it much resembles the eye, and its central rays are what cast the true shadow, when the object in front of it is too quickly overcome with dim rays it will cast a broad and disproportionate shadow, ill-defined, but when the object which is to cast the shadow and cuts off the rays near to the place where the shadow falls, then the shadow is distinct, and the more so in proportion as the light is far off, because at a long distance the central ray is less overcome by false rays, because the lines from the eye and the solar and other luminous rays passing through the atmosphere are obliged to travel in straight lines, unless they are deflected by a denser or rarer air, when they will be bent at some point, but so long as the air is free from grossness or moisture they will preserve their direct course, always carrying the image of the object that intercepts them back to their point of origin, and if this is the eye, the intercepting object will be seen by its color, as well as by form and size, but if the intercepting plane has in it some small perforation opening into a darker chamber not darker in color, but by absence of light you will see the rays enter through this hole and transmitting to the plane beyond all the details of the object they proceed from both as to color and form, only everything will be upside down, but the size of the image where the lines are reconstructed will be in proportion to the relative distance of the aperture from the plane on which the lines fall on one hand and from their origin on the OT.